Transformers comic review show that never lets comic creators get away with anything. They will never hound them when they hit the jackpot and achieve great stuff. I'm Stuart Webb and I'm talking a blue switch. And joining me today are a man who will only ever go sailing in his boat upon the riptide, Tom McNally. Aww. And a lady who, for the sake of this introduction, has agreed to move to the Emirates of Sicily. And that's very kind of her. It's Marion. Hi, Shud. Is, is Saron actually an Emirate in IDW continuity? It's, I went with it anyway. Uh, you got you got a roll of these things sometimes. Hey, people, how are we? They're struggling now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do any of you feel induced to a psychotic rage that will make you abandon your friends uh, from that introduction? Uh, it wouldn't be psychotic. <laughs> how how is everyone we have not had this in a while it's all well I, we've all been very busy i have been to france well i got to like for, for this podcast i reread lost slides whilst traveling under the sea uh if you could go back in time 500 years and tell people that they would uh, make you a god <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't get any of the brexit references there uh, but I think they're very in tune with Brexit for the wonderful man, though. He's, he's down with that. 500 years ago. Well, you know, you don't live in the West Midlands, Tom. I've been around a lot more recently. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it has been a while since we talked about Lost Lights, because it's also, uh, not, we, no, we've never talked about Lost Lights. Uh, mm. we, uh, since we've talked about the comic that many people still call more than the eye. Uh, for the sake of expediency. I don't. Uh, everyone except Marion. <laughs> I have drawn a firm line, which we shall talk about. Well, yeah, I think we can talk about how the relaunch went later. Like, oh, yes, that's going to be a, a rich source of discussion. Uh, yes. Um, as you all are aware, some time ago, More Than Meets the Eye relaunched as Lost Light, and we've now come to the end of its first arc and we now all feel very qualified to weigh in with our barbs and our, our spikes and our hooks and um you know kind words about the series at least there will be some kind words <laughs> uh so what we are going to do is because i've very, very sort of two distinctive plot strands in this opening arc so we're going to sort of take them on one by one uh, but before that, we're going to talk about the first issue where everybody's uh, all together. So I see big reloads this year. We got a lot of attention. It was in The Guardian. Uh, yeah, you can't get bigger than that. Uh, so as this sort of a big pivotal issue, what did we think of issue one? So there was uh, a lot of expectation about this, I think, because last year we got the news that More Than Meets the was ending. There was a lot of back and forth around the fact that it wasn't really ending. Uh, the creative was going to be the same. 
and uh, the only thing that was really changing was the title and we could still go ahead and call it More Than Meets the Eye Season 3 and all of that. Um, I think quite a lot of people were just a little bit, you know, not quite sure what was coming next because we've seen this kind of relaunch from IDW before and we've had this kind of marketing spiel before that, oh no, nothing's changing, it's all exactly the same, blah, 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 and, you know, things do change. Um, so I, I, I was skeptical going in, I have to say. Uh, but I had lots of very big hopes and I was really excited by it. Um, we found out at some point that we weren't going to get Alex Milne back for the first arc originally, um, is what we thought, uh, which um, was uh, a bit of a surprise to some people, including Alex Milne. Uh, but we were getting a new artist, uh, Jack Lawrence. So this was my introduction to Jack Lawrence. I'd not seen his art before. In fact, actually to be... Um, 100% uh, accurate, I'd seen some commissions he'd done. Uh, specifically, I'd seen a run commission he'd done for someone. And the art, the art looked nice enough, you know. Um, so I was really hopeful. And actually, we met Jack Lawrence, I think, before um, Lost Light 1 came out, Stuart, didn't we? Uh, we did at Christmas. Uh, Tom wasn't there. He's, he's too good to hang around with celebrities. But uh, yes, uh, in Manchester, uh, I, there's a nice photo of me and Nick Roach in our Christmas jumpers. And... Uh, yeah, yeah, Jack Lawrence was there as well. And uh, that Roberts fellow. Uh, actually, I'll tell a lie. It was for the launch of Lost Light 1, wasn't it? Was it that long ago? Well, so, 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 the delays have been a, a bit of a thing as well, haven't they? But yes. <laughs> anyway, um, so my thoughts on the first issue. I, I don't know if I can isolate the first issue from this whole arc. And I'm not sure that that's a good thing, because as a first issue, it needs to stand out a little bit more. Uh, you can't start a new series and say, oh, I'm going to defer judgment until we get to issue six. That's quite a lot of issues to wait around for uh, to sort of, you know, be able to have an opinion. So as the first issue, I'll just say the art hit me in a not good way. I didn't like what I was seeing. Um, and I have tried very hard not to be unfair to Jack Lawrence because, you know, just going at it with he's not Alex Milne is not a fair thing to say to anybody. Um, not because I think Alex Milne is, you know, the, the best artist out there and it's unfair to compare everyone else to him, but because drawing these kinds of comparisons is just unhelpful. Um, so I'll just say I have waited six issues to conclude my, my judgment of the art. And um, I, I think I can safely say now, I just don't like Jack Lawrence's style. And I have some issues with it at points where I think it's very inconsistent, where I think there's mistakes in it, where I think there are things there and I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, so this put me off issue one significantly. And this is why I'm bringing it up now. Uh, and I have recently done a full reread of the arc of the six issues because I wanted to get past that initial shock of I really don't like this art and give the story a bit of a more of a fair go. And uh, I, I, I think the story did read better when I read it all in six issues and after I'd, I'd gone past my dislike of the visual. Um, so that's all I want to say about issue one right now. Tom, what okay. did, how did issue one hit you? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm always careful to avoid the packaging. I'm kind of the opposite of you in that way, Stuart. You, 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 you pay a lot of attention to the marketing, to the presentation of something in a sort of a meta-textual sense. Well, I have a media hall, Thomas. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm not saying this is... This is <laughs> 
um, no value judgment on that. But yeah, I, I think I took this, I ignored the fact that it had a different title and tried to ignore the fact that it had a different artist and just took this as the next issue after a break. And I think that helped it. Um, and I think that's the, it's the spirit in which it's been written in. Obviously there's been some, um, jiggering around. We've since learned that Anode and Lug would have been off with the mutineers. Um, and yeah, in that case, like I quite enjoyed it. I was pleased that they, that the, this, they're going to re go. Um, I was pleased that they're revisiting the functionist universe and that got there in quite um, a succinct way and very pleased with the lineup of characters they took there. Um, I thought there'd be a lot of potential with having Minimus in there and I thought there'd be a lot of potential having Terminus in there. Um, and Anode and Lug, uh, you know, they, I think they came out, their little introduction came out in the preview uh, a couple of weeks before and so they drew a lot of focus in discussion around the time they struck me as, as um yeah a, a reasonable device in order to introduce the audience into this story uh, I, I, they struck me as very very russell t davis the showrunner on the relaunch of doctor who uh, i can sort of imagine that doctor who um, 2005 score playing during that opening oh, sequence. Oh, don't do that to me, Tom. Not that uh, terrible music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like, I think that was the spirit in which it was written and intended. Even though I, I find that stuff kind of irritating, um, I think it accomplished what it was trying to do. Um, so, yeah, don't really, I, I don't have a lot of feelings about that pair and, and the and what they get up to but i feel like as a as a function of plot that all works that you know hits all the spots it's supposed to i feel that i was supposed to feel i was supposed to to know exactly what i know and and so on how do you um, think it felt because i mean i know you're saying you're trying to ignore the marketing and everything else but this was marketed as a you know jumping on point the brand new series and number one how do you feel about it as the first issue to somebody just coming into it I think this arc and this issue are terrible jumping on points. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, actually. Because a lot of people did say that. Uh, I was, at one point, quite a big defender of it. Going, no, it's not that bad as an introductory issue. It's not that different in structure to more of a BTI issue one itself, you know, which was a very talky issue. Nothing really happened to the end of the issue in more of a BTI issue one. It was mainly just setting up the characters, which is basically the same thing that happens here. And it was about dealing with the fallout from the death of Optimus Prime in the same way this deals with the fallout from uh, Dying of the Light. So it, it, I think it started roughly the same way the original series did. Uh, that, that was my stance of argument. But then recently on Twitter, uh, James has sort of admitted that it's not, he doesn't think it's that good a starting point for new readers. And if they know more in advance, so we're going to have to relaunch it. He wouldn't have started it like this. So, so that's sort of shoots down my argument. Because if even the writers thinking that, it's hard for me to, to argue against it. Um, there's there's, a, there's a, a certain awkwardness about it, uh, especially with like the great big previously on section at the back. Um, which, which is a place like, to put it as well. I'm not really sure why they bothered. It's like, 
If it's too confusing for new readers, there's no point putting the recap after they've read the issue because if it, mm. it's going to be confusing that much, we probably won't get that far. It's also quite terribly written, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually read it, so why do you think it's terribly written? I know there's some mistakes in it. Uh, a couple of names and things are swapped out. I didn't notice that until I, I read that on the wiki, to be, to be fair. Mm. Um, it's just... I don't know. It feels like a bit begrudging. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we should say that it does seem to be in very last second that Lost Lights became a new thing rather than it just be more than BTI issue 58. Eight, yeah. Yeah, it made, made eight. When they were writing the, uh, the Titans Return to Barter, they didn't seem to know that the next thing was going to be a new issue one. So it seems to have happened very, very... It's just struck rapidly. me that the Titans Return two-parter, which, you know, we weren't big fans of, was probably a better introduction into a new set of characters, a new set of what if, if like, Lost Light had been the adventures of Fortress Maximus and Prowl having domestic squabbles on Luna 2... Um, that would have been a that's a fine setup. <laughs> I do think so that they did have uh, hopefully well deliberate parallels to Mozamitsia One, as you said. Uh, there were you know the bits around introducing the new characters because we do get a lot of new characters in Lost Light One anyway, so you get a bit of that. And uh, there are some throwbacks, like there is some, there is an exchange between Roller and Rewind at some point, where Rewind says, "Oh, that was back then when we, you know, used the magic suitcase to travel back in time and created an alternate universe, something like that." I don't remember what the exact line is, and Roller says, "Yeah, so." what happened again and it's kind of like this slang which really reminded me of the exchange between um skids and swerve in issue two of mother meets the eye yeah. where swerve kind of says like what the what the quest is all about and skids is like yeah i kind of liked the first story better or something like that because like none of it makes sense uh, i thought there were like a couple of things like that which were kind of reminiscent but the, the thing is for me the Functionist Universe, like issue 35 of More Than Meets the Eye, was such a standout, was such a like, perfect issue in every sense because of uh, the stand-aloneness of it, because of the Functionist Universe, which is just this horrifying place. Um, the story was written perfectly, you know, perfect beats in there, and the art was just something else altogether. And to go back into that universe, which I was so looking forward to seeing again, with this kind of, like, casual attitude and this kind of, like... and. You know, Vodimus's irreverence towards uh, the function is cancelled, and it was kind of like almost putting me off a little bit because these are horrifying people. You know, this is this is a terrible reality, this is a terrible place to be, and you're just treating it like it's you know just on your way to somewhere else. You know, which is very much Vodimus, but at the same time, I've got a lot to say about Vodimus. <laughs> and the fact that the art was just not. I was not in this. It was like I wasn't in the same place at all. I, it was somewhere else. This was not the Functionist Universe, as I, you know, I, I had it in my head from all the mid 35. So I was struggling, I think, with that, um, treating it as the same story. 
Mm, it's a very what, hard act to follow, isn't it? Mm. I, I do think it what Function this Universe was a reasonable choice for an introductory art, though, because everybody gets parallel universe stuff. It's uh, We could do shorthand. Everybody's seen Mirror, Mirror, or that uh, the Buffy episode, The Wish, or dozens of them over the years. So, you, so you, once you're in it, you know roughly what the story beats are and... Uh, Oh, and in fact, I would point out when we were discussing discussing Died of the Light, and I said the inside of that teleporter looked like the Star Trek transporter, and you two were like, that's an, an interesting fact. Why have you mentioned it? <laughs> that, in Star Trek, the, the transporter is how you get into the Mirror Universe in various Mirror Universe episodes, and but, that's how they got into the Functionist Universe but, here. It but it isn't. Forward. It's not. It's not how they get to the Functionist Universe. The Geobomb is how they get there. Yes, Stuart. Oh, actually, well, it's how they get to Functionist Cybertron. <laughs> uh. <laughs> actually, that was one thing that did bug me about some of the feedback issue one was getting. It was so many people again. oh, the Geobomb was a dud. What an anticlimax. Ooh, boo, hiss, boo. And I was like, have you not read a James Roberts comic before? It's obvious that there's going to be something more going on with that before... <laughs> before the end of the series. I've got to say, the thing that probably bugged me most about the intro about issue one was the uh, 500 years later page, which uses some kind of stock, I think, uh, Livio art on such an aggressively low resolution. You can even see the the line where it's been tiled. Um, it looked like somebody somebody hateful in production put that together knowing that it would it would upset me it wasn't a terribly <laughs> low resolution of a name of a crossover that was before lost light <laughs> but in terms of cooking people back in i do think perhaps one issue is uh, of all the transformers books lost light is probably the one that had the biggest leadership outside of traditional Transformers fandom and sort of more perhaps younger people and then such a big part of the relaunch has been hey look here's Mask and Rom and, and other stuff for all the people who read Lost Lights haven't heard of and probably aren't that interested in so it's probably going to turn them off a bit before before the new issue once starts I can't imagine yeah. anyone who came into Transformers through more than BTI being remotely interested in a mask crossover or even knowing what mask is uh, i found the bitch you were talking about yeah it's awful yeah no that, isn't it? that black the uh, blue background like the spacey black background mm. how did that how, how did that get through production how did that get through editorial it's not like you could sort i mean you could just have like a blank background it would be better than that it's an <laughs> extra page mind because there's no like if it is reused art it means that they've managed to squeeze an extra page in there because it's just text on it yeah, it means uh, no one's been paid for it, right? Yeah, the... but still, yeah, you're right. It's a very odd choice. Especially because that, I think that page was including the previews and stuff. Um, we'll talk a bit more about Jack Lawrence uh, in a bit, but I feel that he hasn't quite found his feet in the first issue. Um, and that combined with that low-res thing makes, it, it, as, as, an, as a relaunch, it makes it all look very cheap and unprofessional. Oh, but... Uh, <sighs> I'm a little bit saddened by the whole thing because the colors are gorgeous. 
The colours are real nice, aren't they? And and it's like Joanna's gone all out on this. They're beautiful colours. Um, and you've taken a colourist who's up here and giving her lines by someone who's here. And they're trying to make the most <laughs> of it. You can't see the difference in Marion's arms there, Lister, but there's there quite a gap between them. Yeah, there, there was a gap, but it wasn't... Uh, um, it wasn't meant to be an insulting gap, just a realistic gap. <laughs> uh, I, I suppose the other thing I want to mention uh, before going on is I think there's a lot about grief in this storyline that really starts, well, technically it starts with an open look, though that's not apparent still a few issues in, but with the stuff about everybody taking, uh, in fact, is that an issue one or have I jumped ahead where everybody's taking suppressants about skins? Mm. It's mentioned. Uh, in yeah, it's one. mentioned. So they're repressing their memories about their, their grief about skins. Mm. And there's a lot of grief repression across this whole storyline. And people not facing up to things, I suppose, and how whether they come to face up to certain things and deal with their grief or continue to, to keep their head in the sand. It's sort of a, a very big. Uh, thematic thing across the story that I didn't spot properly until I read it all again in one go. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I guess, like, the thing which is coming to mind is Rodimus and his, um, yeah, just anger and betrayal. Um, how he will literally wear his, you know, wear his emotions on his sleeve. Yeah, well, what did we think of Purple Rodimus? Is that a good look for him? Um, I can take him or leave him, it's a change. It's fine, yeah. yeah. I think that, the, the, like, in terms of, of, of Transformers, um, I think Roberts is the only one who ever refers to the fact that they're in weird colours. He's the only one who's, who, like, will use descriptors, like, colour descriptors um, consistently. Like, oh, I know what this guy looks like because he's big and red. Um, while other lot of writers tend to just ignore that. Um, but you think that... You know, it, it, it's. I think it's it's valid and interesting to take the fact that they're all in these bright, <laughs> child-friendly colours and say, okay, this is a cultural thing. I mean, even just the fact that there are Decepticon colours and there are Autobot colours, of course, that's something we all know about it, but writers tend to ignore it. Um, but actually, it makes, it, it makes a lot more sense that, oh, I identify with this group, so now I'm going to change my colours to emulate somebody. There's just a lovely subtle stuff like in Functionist, in the Functionist universe, people have red eyes at random. And we know that Megatron was born with red eyes and Decepticons have obviously emulated him and changed their eyes. There's, there's lots of references to the fact that people can change their eyes and change their colors. Okay, I've never thought of it that way. I mean, yeah, we do have references that people can change their eyes and so on, but I've never thought of it as a Megatron thing. Um, yeah, or, you know, or just that the, your founding members of the Decepticons all tended to have red eyes, and that just became a, a badge. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Generation 1 thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've never yeah, really well, thought of it as, a, you know, in a, in a kind of a, how do we make this work in reality kind of way. Hmm. Hey, uh, it's not as in full or in-depth as your response time, but what, may, what I like about it is that the preview cover but first showed off as new colours, came out about the same time as we first saw Hot Rod from last night. In fact, it was, it was just afterwards. Mm. And it was like, sponsor Hot Rod in last night, 
fandom getting, hot rod isn't red. You can't do a hot rod that isn't red. This disgusts and sickens me down to my boots. Have you ever lost like of a cave's eyes? They're like, oh, that's interesting. This hot rod isn't red. What can it mean? What an interesting and intriguing mystery. Oh, come on. It's not the same thing. You're introduce- <laughs> if you're introducing a character they, in, a, in a different continuity, they need to be recognizable. You know, I understand that. But this is like when I say take him or leave him, I mean temporarily. It's a change temporarily. I wouldn't have him like this all the time. Oh. So, uh, anybody got any final thoughts on issue one, or shall we plow on to the the B plots? Should we pick up um, like the separate strands, story strands? I mean, we've got, we've started talking about quite a few of them, but uh, if we start looking at um, what's happening in Necro World after everybody goes off into the Functionist universe, we've got a couple of things happening in there. So we've got the whole Tailgate and Cyclonus subplot. We have the anode and lug subplot, or just the anode subplot, as it turns out. Um, and then, well, we've got the Killmaster thing, which kind of involves some of um, the Telgate and Cyclonus subplot there as well. But um, So what what do we think about the evolution of Telgate's and Cyclonus's relationship there? Well, I suppose it was an obvious progression uh, in terms of his superpowers and that. Uh, it did feel a bit random, but it, 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 it they now made a thing that Tailgates went nuts during the battle on uh, in mm. Dying of the Light. So I don't think there was really any hint of that in Dying of the Light. So I felt like it was sort of a, something he came up with afterwards. Uh, I mean, I don't think he got a sense he was off fighting by himself uh, in that final battle in the comic itself. Mm. But there's some interesting ideas. It does feel a bit stretched out to sort of match the length of the arc. Uh, and it doesn't it doesn't resolve itself either. So you have a tailgates world thing. Well, I'm presuming I'll be picked up on next issue or fairly soon. But sort of the fact it's a sort of pretty major plot in this arc that doesn't quite end in this arc hmm. is is a bit annoying. Uh, generally, it was okay, though. Uh, what did you two think? Um, I thought it was an interesting way. It's like the relationship, I suppose. Uh, to stop it becoming stagnant in some way. Um, (laughs) You know, it still keeps things interesting, especially as it brings Whirl into play, I think. Um, The Delgate bit about the, um, the, you know, the battle bit, what we do see Delgate, you know, he, he gets cocky. He gets, I think he starts getting really cocky and it gets worse progressively the more he can use his power. Um, because, I mean, let's not forget, Telgate, you know, had serious, uh, it's not self-respect, I'm trying to say, but, uh, you know, um, confidence issues, perhaps. Oh, yeah. um, so this is, you know, somebody who's spent all their life thinking, I'm just this teeny thing that's, you know, never going to be able to fight alongside other people. And all of a sudden you get given everything. Um, and uh, it's a natural progression. I think he's, and let's not forget that he's still quite young. Um so I think that it rings true um, in some way. Um, but I did think also that it was a little bit over the top, maybe, the whole, like the way Cyclones was handling the situation. Like you have somebody seizing in their sleep that nearly kills you every time, but you don't think to let them know that they need to be restrained somehow or, or check that. Oh, or yeah, or exactly. You just try to deal with it behind closed doors for some reason. Um, it just, uh, it's a bit cyclonacy, to be fair. 
you know, we just we deal with our issues, you know, um, the world doesn't need to know kind of thing. Uh, but it also feels a bit, I don't know, over the top. Um, I thought it was fine. I thought it was like quite a... Again, I feel like I could have seen this plot in, in Buffy or something. It's that sort of, you know, skirting, like kind of controversial spouse abuse, but it isn't. And I think it uses the characters quite well. I think you're, you're right, Marion. I think it, it, it's true to each character and feels like a natural outgrowth of, of events. Um, it just kind of bugged me because um, I, I, I think it was, it kind of took pages away. I would much more have know, wanted to know like, what's up with Minimus? What's up with Terminus? What's up with like, Chrome Dome? Doesn't really do anything. Yeah. This whole story. Mm. I don't really know why he's, why he's part of the away team. I suppose because Rewind has to be there. But um, yeah, I, I, in that kind of, uh, it, it tempts me to do some backseat uh, editorializing. It feels, it feels, it, it, it's, it's a, f I don't know if it's a flaw, it's a tendency in the whole run to kind of treat this more like a TV show than a comic. And part of that, uh, part of that medium is giving the actors something to do. And even though I quite liked the storyline on the surface, I felt putting it as a second subplot going on a necro world, you've already split the party three ways. And I feel if any of them could have been cut or, or moved later on in the sequence, because I agree, it's, a, it's an interesting story development. Um, I, I agree on the pacing with you. Before I get into that, though, I just want to say, you just said something that made something else click for me, the uh, abuse. Uh, it is a reversal of the earlier domestic abuse. I, I put this in inverted commas between Cyclones and Tailgate. And given that it is something that's happening almost subconsciously on Tailgate's level, I wonder if it is a sort of delayed reaction to his feelings about that uh, initial uh, beating he got from Cyclones, which Cyclones has apologized for, but Tailgate has never quite said he's forgiving him for. Mm. Yeah, that's a good angle. And I think, yeah, there'll be more on this story, I'm sure. Um, it felt like you could have done an issue on this. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I, to take it back to the pacing, as you said, I also felt like we were focusing on things that kind of like at an intensity that felt like they should have been resolved, like Stuart was saying, but didn't. Mm. They just got left. Um, so instead of having smaller beats about different characters that then carried on throughout the season, uh, we did end up getting, I think, some kind of disproportionate amount of time on some characters that kind of felt like it should have gone somewhere more. And, it, mm. and especially with the Anode and Lug, given that they are new characters as well, um, we had Anode in both universes as well. And it kind no, of felt, I'm not sure why that was. It, it was a bit of a... Yeah. It felt like a... Uh, it was, we keep talking about Buffy, but it felt a bit like a dawn moment. Like, there's this character all of a sudden that I'm supposed to be taking for granted. Where did they come from? Why are they here and there? And why, why am I spending so much time with them? Especially as, like Tom was saying, there are other characters that kind of want to focus on a little bit more, you know? Like all this stuff has happened in the previous season that we've just not resolved um, as far as characters are concerned, you know, and how they're feeling about the situation. But I suppose, you know, 
we have said that everybody's suppressing at the moment, so a lot is going to come up, I'm sure. But yeah, it did just overall just not feel balanced at all. Yeah, it's especially odd with a node being in both universes in that right up till that last page, it resolutely resists doing the usual uh, mirror universe thing of, hey, here's everybody's wacky double in the other universe, except for a node. And she's basically just the same character. So it feels a bit slight. Out of everybody you're going to do in both timelines, it's a node is the one you're going to do. <laughs> We don't get to see any other character in the Functionist universe that we recognize. And I, I, kept, I kept expecting to see somebody, some, you know, recognition that, well, except at the very end where we see Tan. But, I kept, you know, what, did everybody just die in that universe? Where is everyone? I really like that. I, I, um, I, I thought the, the anode in both universes was clever. Um, because she can say things in this more nightmarish universe. She can be more comfortable with her role. This is a universe where she didn't run away from her, well, she ran away from her role in a different context. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of references that, you know, her vision of Lug is needling her saying, oh, you know, why did you tell them you're an adventurer? Why did you tell them you're an archaeologist? You're a, you're a midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she, you know, she doesn't really want to deal with that. She feels guilty that she, that she left that. And yeah, the Functionist Universe really, you know, its, it's whole job is to be a, a, a glass darkly, right? And um, somebody like Anno, despite herself, despite what we know about her, is actually thriving and feel, and she comes across much more self-assured and confident and transparent uh, in, the, in the nightmare world. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a bit more ballsy. I think you've successfully read an awful lot into like her three lines of dialogue in the Functionist <laughs> Universe. That's very impressive. Right? It is interesting. It's an interesting point because every other character that we have seen in both universes is worse off in the Functionist Universe or dead. Yeah. Mm. Uh, she seems to be the only one we've come across that I can think of right now that is, as you say, in a better place because she was a. Well, she was at the top of the hierarchy, so life wasn't hard for her, but she made the decision. To give it up, mm. and that puts her. Even though she's she ex, she's acting kind of sketchy and like outright weird uh, in the early issues, that establishes her as a very moral character. Mm. And I guess we'll probably find a happy medium, or we'll see her completely evolve into that character in this universe. Mm. Yeah, I, I did like. Actually, I have to be something to talk about when we get onto a, into a functionist universe plot. I'll, I'll leave that till we get there. Uh, what did we think of Killmaster? <laughs> well, as uh, as it turns out, we had seen Killmaster before, which I didn't remember. Um, like, we had a visual of him. I didn't remember him at all. He was like a massive surprise to me, and he made me laugh so much. I, I thought it was one of the funniest things um, James Roberts has written. The, intro, the entrance of Killmaster it was just amazing. All, all, the, all of Will's lines in that confrontation were just amazing. They were brilliant. Yeah, I, I mean, I, did, I liked how all of that played in. That was one of all the B-plots uh, for Killmaster thing was one of the most essential for the storyline because, of course, it's how they got in and out. And I liked how it paid off to something you mentioned in the past about how he made the Geobomb. So once... You've explained that his technology, and uh, then it does this, and then he turns up. You can you can argue it's a bit neat, 
when it all happens on the same afternoon, when he, tur- he, he turns up on the day, maybe transported into an alternate universe by a big version of his wand. But I mean, it works. It's uh... He's shamelessly used as a plot device. And I'm not sure I like that. He just, he turns up, we have a few laughs, and then he vanishes, but he's the <laughs> ultimate MacGuffin. All of a sudden, his wand turns up, just, and then he, he you know, like, what? Um, he's, he's actually a nice man. He only displaces people. He doesn't <laughs> kill them. It's, it's a totally <laughs> he, oh, oh, my God, he makes such a good joke. Um, at some point, uh, brainstorm uh, about something like, oh, yeah, cut and paste weapons. <laughs> he makes cut and paste weapons. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked the, the comedy subplot as it was. Uh, and I thought it was clever how they tied that into the eventual resolution. Uh, yeah, it is neat. It is silly, but that's okay. Again, it's, it's presented that way. And um, there's no there's no pretense about any of it. And I really like the way Jack Lawrence draws Killmaster. Killmaster is just an inherently funny looking guy. Um, With a little one, though. That's what makes yeah. it. And, um, yeah, I, kinda, I, th- I thought, like, a lot of the things, the fight was all sort of strung out and the delays didn't help there. Um, but, yeah, it also helped good character interaction between Cyclonus and World, which is which is welcome. Mm-hmm. Good to see them two now in their, like, I think they're quite solidly friends. I think most people would have a better relationship with Telgate and Cyclonus, certainly. <laughs> I'm rooting for those guys. Uh, what, what, uh, because you were talking about the Russell T. Davis influence earlier, Tom, and mm-hmm. I suppose it's worth mentioning that Killmaster's wand is basically the weeping angels from Doctor Who. Like, they don't kill you, they transport you somewhere else. Where you, <laughs> in their case, back in time, in this case, <laughs> to another dimension, uh, which it probably works better because in Doctor Who, you're thinking, well, they, they, they just wait 50 years, then they come get you again if you piss them off that much. Uh, but at least you make up the person in this place, he can't get back at you if they're in another universe. <laughs> but uh, so I, I think he was a bit inspired by that. <laughs> yeah, there's also the, there's the added little detail there that a guy who looks like a big monster, I guess, there's an there's implication in earlier issues that he's gotten rid of his alternate mode so that he can look more monstrous. He calls himself Killmaster, but he has dedicated his life into finding non-lethal solutions to the situation. <laughs> so much so that, like, entire galactic governments have realized he's brilliant. I think, like, I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's a nice thread there um, that I appreciate. Well, presumably the, the Galactic Council didn't know how it actually worked. So I, mean, I think they were aiming to kill everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're so annoyed. Like, we've got to find back Killmaster and get a refund on this. It's a very frustrating weapon. <laughs> I'm a bit bummed out that he's, I guess, been left behind in his pocket dimension or something. I, I, I think it would be good for him to join the crew. Well, didn't he get sent back to the regular... Isn't it about the people who got zapped by the one who got sent back to the normal universe? Hmm, it's like a little phantom zone. Um, I mean. No, actually, no. Well, if... Getting hit by the Geobomb in our universe sends you to the Functionist universe. Mm. Then where do you go if you're hit by the weapon in when you're in the Functionist universe? You go back? Or you go somewhere yeah. else? Ah! two universes. <laughs> universe hopping. Where, where are Killmaster's victims? Are they on the Functionist side with Robert? Are they on the side? 
They're in the, the universe where everybody's a girl. And that's your first choice of alternate universe, is it, Todd? It's a Red Dwarf reference, Stuart. I don't remember that one. Oh, you mean take, parallel? Take, oh, yes, okay, yes. Take the Holly Hop drive. The technically, their counterparts are a different gender. It's not that everybody's a girl. No, but it's funnier to say that, isn't uh, it? No, it wasn't, because nobody got the joke, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> if James is to this, he'll be laughing along with you. So I suppose that brings us to sort of a... What was the big talking point of, of a Necroworld issues? A node and lug, which we sort of touched upon a little bit. But uh, what did we think of our two or one new character? Well, but, but I thought they were both okay. I just thought, like I said before, that we just get a little bit too much of them without any real reason why we're getting so much of them. It just felt like disproportionate to the story I thought um, also a little bit of it felt contrived in the sense that it was all about Arnold's backstory but the way in which we got to it just felt a bit artificial we gave her this imaginary friend to talk to that revealed the, her history um, instead of exposition we just had this artificial dialogue happening and it just I didn't think it flowed that well, um, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, th- I think this was another thing that suffered for being drawn out as a subplot, because I think everybody guessed what was really going on a good while before the revelation, which yeah. might, might have been better if it had been a bit more condensed. Uh, I, I was expecting there to be some sort of other twist on it, which I suppose there is at the end when she does become real. Uh but it sort of it fell a bit flat because we're going, oh my god, look, is it real? It's like, well, I guess that six months ago or how long it was, thanks for all these delays. Uh, I think that hurt it a, a, a bit uh, as well. Mm. Uh, Tom, Tom's putting faces on Skype. I, so I, think I, I, am, I am. I, I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing with you. My faces are doing that. I, I just wish more... I, I just wish people would... would uh, comics writers, modern-day comics writers, would learn more from Astro City, what Kurt Busiek does on that. Because he has lots of interlocking, very intricate, very history-heavy storylines. But he just focuses on one bit of it at a time. And this kind of serial plotting, it comes up short um, more often than not, in my opinion. And I, I, I think it's just the same problem with the uh, Cyclonus and, and Tailgate issue. Fine story. The characters are all in the right place. This, this all feels natural, but you get salami, slice it up, and you put it out over six months, and you can't help be underwhelmed. If um, if we had one issue, maybe the first issue, why not? They're new characters. Everyone's a new character. Doesn't even maybe the, you don't even get to the function issues universe. I don't know. You just have the anode and lug story play out you can talk about the loss of war you can talk about guilt and all the kind of you can introduce all your themes and then you move on to the uh, yeah it feels these things need to be compartmentalized more or less compart yeah more compartmentalized as an issue basis uh roberts used to be a bit more disciplined in that um some of his best work has been relatively self-contained issues where you just focus on a few characters at once, but then there's the idea that lots of things are happening in the background. Yeah, if you compare this to uh, what I think is sort of his most direct predecessor, Elegant Chaos, 
in that, you're focusing on very much of the A plot. So whenever you come back to the Lost Lights, it's only for something relevant. This, it feels like you're cutting back to stuff on Necroworld quite often just to fill up the page count of the six issues. Uh, I think that's probably the, the biggest weakness of this opening arc. All, all of the stuff on Necroworld, most of the stuff on Necroworld feels like it could have been done as a, in one two-parter after a four-part version of uh, the A-plot. Um, it would have been a lot tighter and uh, would have given you less time to think about things and maybe guess stuff in advance. Uh, I suppose like, my other thing with this is that I don't really feel an owns guilt all that much. Because, okay, she made a mistake. But doctors and midwives, yeah, they, people die on their watches all the time. You make things go wrong. Mm. Uh, I don't... As horrible as it is, I don't think you'd really... Especially if it wasn't directly your fault and it was uh, down to your superior giving you something to do that was outside your skill remit. I, it doesn't feel like it would be that much... Or at least... Yeah, maybe it would be as important to her, but it doesn't feel like it would be as important in the story, I suppose, as uh, as it makes it out to be. I'm sure uh, Velocity could go, hey, you know how many patients I've had died? Look at Skid's body over there. <laughs> yeah, it is established, right, that that's her first like day out, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so maybe a, there's that as well. It's just... It's a bit like, oh, uh, get get over yourself. <laughs> but again, it's it's, it's 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 the theme of like she didn't want to, she didn't want that job. You know, she didn't want to be, she didn't want to occupy that part of the grand uh, Cybertronian taxonomy. She didn't want to use her hands for that purpose. Yeah, so there is actually continuation of it as well, which is just it's all a bit neat. It's too neat because you have this <laughs> flashback or a dream that she's having where she's looking at her hands of that scene where presumably that death happened. Um, and someone is asking her to use her hands to, I think, uh, regulate the temperature of the protoform or something like that, um, and which is where things went wrong. Oh, there we go. Yeah, your hands are not. Use your hands. I can't. I can't. Uh, you know, there's this. And then we see that this is how she saves Log. Uh, it's exactly the same situation, and the same thing happens with the temperature. And she says, no, no, I got this. I got this. And this is the second time ever she's done this. We guess uh, the first time where she where it went wrong, and this is the second time where she gets it right with exactly the same kind of set of circumstances, and it's all just a bit too neat, you know. I don't know. I think that's so. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but I think that's okay. I think it's okay for um, those little little character introduction things to be quite neat. Um, again, it feels like. Feels like you can hear the music going over it, and you know you feel kind of the swell, and yeah, it's not. There's nothing subtle about it, but it's not supposed to be. I guess I'm just not used to more than it's yeah, now lost light functioning that way because I don't think we have mm. had this kind of like neat and closed story arcs, if you know what I mean. Uh, we've had yeah. things play out over years and years, and you know we come across things after. 20 issues and you're like oh, I remember that hang on a minute that was back then when blah blah, blah. and now it's just mm. a little bit self-contained which might be because uh, James Roberts doesn't know how many issues he's got uh, maybe because he's you know they've decided to change the kind of the structure of the book and make it into longer arcs that way I, I don't know but it doesn't feel like it's written the same way if you know what I mean 
I think mm. he said that in our interview with him, didn't he? That they were they were changing the uh, structure and pacing a bit mm. uh, for Lost Lights. If I go, go listen back to that, uh, listeners, and tell us if that was the case. It was a long time ago for us. But he also said that he was going to have fewer characters. <laughs> <laughs> Did he? We need to introduce more characters. Yeah. But to speaking have of less characters. characters. It's, it's a mostly irrelevant detail, but what did we think of a new Doctor character? I couldn't really get why they, they needed to introduce a new Doctor. He's a spark specialist. He's a spark specialist, so yeah. he could do the spark thing. Yeah, yeah we could have said Velocity was a, a spark specialist. No, we know she's not. You know she's a surgeon. The doctors in this franchise can do anything they like. You don't call it a specialist. I think we are heading somewhere. With uh, crystals and the midwives and the spark specialists and Drift's vision with all the crystals in it. And I think we're heading towards some kind of you know, mass birth or mass creation or a new Transformers. Oh, oh, oh. They'll create the Knights of Cybertron. Oh. Um, yeah, you guys need to catch up with some of the other comics. And then we can talk about that uh-huh. in more detail. Is that a thing? <laughs> uh, I, Revolutionaries is on my list, so I'm nowhere it's the <laughs> well, list yeah, of comics stuff, never to read. Stuff is, there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of ways that all this could pan out. And yeah, I, I, I agree, Marion. I think, I think um, it's no coincidence that we have a spark specialist crop up now. So how about that then? All of a sudden, you have a planet full of spark uh, residue flowers. Mm. Somebody who can seemingly resurrect anybody if they have some sentio metallico. Mm-hmm. And a spark specialist who can help her identify and, you know, uh, generate that process. We've also got uh, now Rung suddenly being able to create um, spark casings. Mm-hmm. So in theory, you could have spark casing, a flower with spark residue that you can create a spark from, maybe, and lots of recycled material where you can make new bodies. Could you make lots of constructed cold bots that way? And when resurrects the whole race, mm-hmm. um, Galvatron did it in Hearts of Darkness, didn't he? Did he now? <laughs> <laughs> Don't pretend Heart of Darkness makes any sense, Tom. It's like, uh, everybody who's died in the war, just come on, let's all be sweeps. Let's have a nice time. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it feels like, especially with um, what's, especially with all the technology they have on Luna One, um, you could just you know, make a factory and make a resurrection factory. Mm. Instead of a Necro world, you have a Vivo world. Well, I think I think the problem would be I'm just gonna ignore that. Uh, I think the problem would be that uh, when you get to the fourth or fifth one, and that's the one where something goes wrong with, uh, a node will just run off and go, "Oh no, not again!" That's our one midwife in the universe. So, what about Griff's vision? That that's that's like the biggest more than meets the eye issue one. So call back, like, here is a list of words yeah. that sound kind of cool, kind of ominous. I don't quite know what they mean yet, but we'll get to that. That will make, we'll, we'll fit this. These are some puzzle pieces that you're going to have fun slotting into place, which is effective. 
Um, I don't know if it's deliberately exactly like the message from the future, but it is exactly like the message from the future. All I want to know is, has James Roberts actually thought out what it all means or has he just thrown random shit in there again? And he's thinking, well, I'll get to that when I get to that. I'll figure it out as I go along. I was going to say, maybe three years, Swift would be going, oh, that was some bad cheese I had the night before, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that explains. So what do we have in Just Vision? We have Pharma, which links back to Luna 2. No, Luna 1 is what I mean to say. Uh, we have the Lost Light. We have lots of Spark Eaters. Uh, the world sweepers, which are, we find out, the phantom fleet that disappeared in the dark nebula, which is the home of the dire race, race, that's it, uh, that we find out about in uh, the revolution, more than the issue. We have Grimlock with his sword, which he finds again in the revolution, more than the issue. Uh, lots of rain or crystals, uh, lots of red background, which could be anything. And lots of words, Drift tells us. So he says, he sees words that say survive and thrive, which we find out is linked to Primus. Uh, trapped light, the morality lock, threadbare space, and of course, prepare, confront, repel. Ooh. Well, survive and thrive strikes me maybe uh, is, is what we were just talking about. Let's go forth and, and, and multiply. Mm-hmm. That's something God says. Um, that's a sort of Nova Prime kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Trap light. Well, lost light. The, the lost light is trapped. I don't know. That's a bit literal, though, isn't it? It's got like, it's like oh. a metaphorical light. Okay, well, then the sparks trapped in photonic crystals. Yeah, I was thinking spark light of some kind, maybe. With a morality lock. Yeah, that could, that could be anything. They're bringing uh, Mary Whitehouse back. <laughs> you can, I, I imagine a lot of these things are just sort of, you know, like notebook, like phrases which have a sort of flavour to them. Yeah, yeah. And morality lock is, an, is such a, you could almost guess that James Rollins would come up with a phrase like morality lock. You know, you've got A-level planets and cut and paste warfare and mor- a morality lock. <sighs> what could that be? I'm looking forward to finding out. Threadbare space. Could be anything again. It could have something to do again with um, Killmaster's uh, cut and paste weaponry. He'll be back. Was the the space when and uh, when Trailbreaker died mm. um, around the the Ofcom planet? Yeah, the planet. Um, the uh, <laughs> wasn't the space around that described as threadbare because there'd been too many ships warping in and out or something like that. Oh, was it now? Yeah, maybe. That's, that's what? Okay. And of course, prepare from Repel, which we, I think, established was linked to the night through the symbol, not the words, but the symbol. We did link back to them when somebody was giving a lecture back on the Lost Light, which may have been Thunderclash. It was Megatron, wasn't it? Was it me- oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. It was Megatron. Megatron to all his friends. And that's when Ooh. Skid said he heard something. Didn't know what it meant, but it was words. And Nautica asked him, well, can you kind of like try to replicate it phonetically or something like that? And we never had the follow-up to that. No. As Skids is dead. Our one link. Where'd it go, Skid? Hmm. <laughs> well, they could probably bring it back now. If they should look into that. To make it spark into a flower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but did, nobody caught his energy when he died, did they? Necrobots no more. So that's what a way to die. <laughs> Or 
But or did everybody get his energy? Exactly like, from the uh, explosion. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a there's a lot of black doors open there, isn't there? Um, well, also I guess they, Drift said that there was writing everywhere, didn't he? Yeah. And we know that Grimlock, who's been kidnapped by the knights, the cog people, or whoever, um, you know, sort of compulsively writes, prepare, confront, repel, on every surface. And I don't know if that's linked at all to the fact that Rodimus compulsively write, uh, draws maps to go to the knights or the cog people or the quidditons or whoever. Uh-huh. There seems to be this kind of, uh, you know, this, this theme of automatic writing. Yeah. And I just realized, you know, the spark eaters, let me go find them again. They've got tentacle things, don't they? Yeah. And uh, the last time we saw tentacle things was uh, when they grabbed Farmer. Mm. And now Farmer is here amongst... Amongst his friends. Amongst his friends, indeed. There you go. We're having the old quintessons all. Interesting. That, that is a trapped light there. If it is going to be the ship, it's sucking like its course up by a load of tentacle stuff. If it's going to be completely literal. Um, yeah. So, what, what I didn't like about this is when Rift goes to Ratchet. Hey, remember I had a vision that led us to Necro World? Where that wasn't what happened, he died of the lights. They, they were led to the world by the phone call from uh, Velocity. Uh, there was never any indication of it. It felt like a bit of, a, of an ass pull there. <laughs> hmm. Remember that time that Swerve opened the briefcase? Well, that's now irrelevant. <laughs> well, he does say, well, Ratchet does say, we were heading there anyway. Well, they were in the area, that's how... Isn't it? No, maybe not. Maybe I'm misremembering that. He, there's something about well, them. Uh, Ratchet poo's the idea anyway. It's, so I always Ratchet on that. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's never going to come up again. Since we're talking about them, um, I think we have the beginnings of a, a love triangle and uh, between uh, Drift Ratchet and uh, Rodimus here. Uh, very deliberately, I think, for the first time. I mean, obviously, I think the fandom has been making up stories for quite some time now. But I think this is the first kind of official acknowledgement that there is maybe something a bit more. Um, since the um, reunion in More Than, more than Meets the Eye, uh, Drift and Rodimus have their little moment there. However, this is, uh, this is very much something that's going to upset me uh, in the, the coming months because... A few months ago, maybe as far up as a year ago now, James Roberts asked a question on Twitter. He said, could you ever be with someone who had very opposing views to you on things that were uh, important to you? And I'm pretty sure he got unanimously everybody saying no. <laughs> and he's very much setting this up as Raja and Drift are having, uh, you know, the very opposite views when it comes to religion. And uh, I think it's going to come down to the fact that Drift can't uh, deal with Ratchet because of that reason. Um, and I hope I'm wrong, but unfortunately, I think I, that... I think they'll meet to the middle somewhere. Uh, and uh, Rodimus has just converted to Drift's religion. He, he has more going uh, for him right now. But that wasn't subtle, was it? The scene of Drift just laid Rodimus out on a bed and then painted him like one of his French girls. <laughs> Well, they've had those moments before, haven't they? They're sword oh, fighting yeah. and they're... But, um, yeah, and I mean, if, if Drift is willing to look past the fact that Rodimus can be a piece of shit, self-serving, useless captain 
or excuse of a Cybertronian being, then he should go for it and uh, make himself happy. So I think I think you're on team uh, Ratchet there. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think Ratchet. Uh, I think um, Rodimus and Drift deserve each other. I think Ratchet could do better. I, I, at this point, I'm starting <laughs> to agree with you. <laughs> okay. Doctors in love. Now maybe you should get together with a spark specialist, Ratchet. They could they talk about medical stuff. And- they seem pretty similar, don't they? Kaput and Ratchet. Kaput always makes me think of the Dave Burr cartoons from um, from Mad Magazine of Kaputnik, who'd always be, uh, you know, in bad health and would have to go to his doctor. Maybe that's a deliberate reference. Maybe, maybe. Okay, since we're talking about Rodimus, should we switch to the Functionist Universe plot? Oh, yeah. The A plot, yes, uh... So, were, were we surprised to see this come back at the end of issue one, Ben? Uh, yeah, that, I wasn't expecting yep. it here. I was expecting it to yep. come into play, but not in this way. Yeah, and I, yeah, uh, I mean, I guess it will probably come back again. Um, almost, yeah, actually, it will certainly come back again. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I was expecting it to be much more of like a season finale, balls to the wall kind of um, thing. Yeah, just sort of happening across it. <laughs> it's definitely a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I wasn't expecting it to come back. I thought it had sort of been done, and all the stuff with the other rung was just set up for our rung. I sort of said, oh, he really does have a serious purpose. Mm. I didn't actually expect to revisit that, that rung at all. Uh, so that surprised me a bit. Uh, I think, because we were talking about the art earlier, I think this is where it... it isn't terribly fair on Jack Lawrence because everything in the Functionist Universe is so Alex Mill. Uh, with, with the original plan of uh, alternated arcs, this arc probably should have been an Alex Mill arc. There is no questioning. This should have been. It should have been an Alex Mill opener. I mean, I think that mm. that in itself just it was a bad decision. It was a bad decision mm. and. If you're going to bring in a new artist, at least maybe somebody who's had a bit more experience or somebody, I don't know, maybe that's not fair because, but I'm looking at the artists on the other books, right? Well, you have Kay. She's new to Transformers as far as I'm aware, like official work. And you have Sarah who has not been doing official work for that long on Transformers comics again. But I am looking at the three of them at the level of work they produce. And there is no comparison in my eyes. Um, Kei Zama is, is fantastic. She's so good. It's just like, they're going to lose her soon and she, you know, she'll be gone. She's too good. Mm. Um, Sarah um, is... I haven't seen any of uh, Sarah's work in other things, so I don't know what she's like in other properties. Uh, but I absolutely adore, especially when she does her own colours, I love her style very much. And mm. she is of, you know, really high standard, the work that she produces and in good time and, you know, very consistent and all of that. And then Jack Lawrence, to me, is nowhere near those two people. And to give that book, which is probably the most popular of the three, or used to be the most popular of the three, the artist, which is not quite on par with the others, just doesn't feel right on in any way. Yeah, I, I was going to say that I don't think any artist could have, done something so 
such a mildly storyline as well as Mill could have. I mean, obviously, you mentioned uh, Kay, and uh, yeah, she's in a completely different league to everything else at the moment. So, yeah, she, I mean, her work on this could theoretically have been brilliant. Sheesh, uh, yeah, wow. But uh, generally, I think it would be very hard for anybody else to step in. I think she's more big picture. James has all these little details in his arc, which I haven't really seen from Kay. Like, she does this big, grand, you know, really in your face kind of art. Um, but I haven't seen, like, you know, in character interactions, that kind of, like, expression or, you know, um, extra bit of plotting that Milne was so good at inserting to the book mm. without any text, uh, which I find now is completely lacking. It'd be interesting to see her, because uh, I've not seen it, uh, her 2018 thing, which she did uh, a couple of months ago, because mm. I suspect that in style would be more like a James Roberts uh Obviously, he's, he's very British comics in his writing style, uh, so that might be more reflective of what she'd be like on, on something like Lost Lights than, uh, than Optimus Prime is. Oh, but 2008 script is very simple. You know, it's five pages. There's, like, basically one, maybe two scenes. Um, yeah, usually they're quite... They're usually not very text-heavy. Um, she's perfect, 2008. You know, all those kinds of, like, very bombastic like um very high heavy stylized artists you know that's that's their home um yeah plot it's like certainly just characters and scenes very well their plots are, are, are kind of you know they're for fun a bit like lost lightning <laughs> yeah hey um i, I wonder if uh they asked sakamoto yeah uh, from what i could gather that's well, when they decided to have other artists on it, it was pretty much just for lists of one that uh, was on it. Uh, maybe like, it's an opportunity. Uh, I know this very good artist. Let's... Yeah, obviously, I mean, James has also said he's been trying to get Jack to do uh, Transformers for quite a while as well. Uh, as has Nick, I think, because uh, he did a cover for Sins of Wreckers uh, but mm. I think happened because of Nick Roach. But how can but how can James have that much clout at IDW? I mean, he's still a he's still a freelance guy. I, I mean, I don't know how chummy. I mean, we're still yeah, yeah. not entirely sure what the editorial situation here is. Guzman edited all this, didn't he? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if the start overlaps with the end of uh, a barber's reign. I, th- I think in the interview we did with him, James mentioned another editor, didn't he? A female editor who's never wound up being credited on the actual issues. Yes. Mm. Uh, so, it's, so it's only a work of a few people, in, as well as Guzman, uh, on that side of things. Well, I, I just, um, you know, it seems tempting to say so there's a connection between Lawrence and Roberts and that uh, Roberts got him in there. But, I, yeah, I'm not really... I don't know enough about the setup to... To know if that's yeah. the case. I, I think I agree. I don't really feel like I want to comment on that. All I can do is look at the output and say, don't think this was a good decision. But mm. th- but this is my view, and a lot of other people have liked the art. I've been very happy with the art, so it's just my view. Um, I you know I quite like by issue six. I'm pretty keen on the art. Um, I think we were all standing in um, we're in orbital. I think uh, leaping through issue four. 
And I think, yeah, that was sort of the point where it all kind of clicked into place with me. I think Lawrence um, is, I think he, he works better with certain characters than others. I kind of actually don't like the way he draws like Swerve and Tailgate and a couple of other ones. Mm. But then I really like the way he draws like Rodimus and Drift. And I quite like the way he draws Cyclonus as well. And Megatron, I think he's great at Megatron. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like these the, uh, across these six issues, he he does go from strength to strength. But then, you know, in the context of this as a relaunch, you want to put your best foot forward. I don't think that was the right choice. And I, of course, I'd be I'd prefer for <laughs> Milne to be doing all of this. Yeah, particularly with the arc involved, if nothing else. Hmm. Uh, oddly enough, I think all my least favourite bits of the art are towards the end of, of the storyline. So it's, I'm, I'm a very different person to you, Tom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, so, Functionist Universe fan, uh, obviously it's a very politically heavy story and it's uh, ripped from today's headlines uh, style stuff. Uh, do we think that works? And uh, it managed to keep pace with the utter insanity of a world going on around it? Because I, I imagine a lot of stuff that's happened when he was writing the big political speeches, he wouldn't have predicted when he was writing them six months ago. Um, uh, I think the world has been heading in a certain direction for quite some time now. And certainly uh, a lot of the uh, lines that uh, I used in Lost Light here are lines that were told in real life by people more than a year ago. There is, it's not really being transparent. It's not really being, sorry, it's not trying not to be transparent. It's very transparent, I think, in the fact that it is very much looking at the world today and sort of trying to tell us something all about it. Uh, I'm not sure about the conclusion, to be fair. I'm not sure that uh, Megatron's conclusion is uh, something that's going to work in this universe. Maybe it will. We would all like it to work in both this and our universe, I think. But, yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. But I think we got a lot of this from issue 35. Like, there wasn't much here that was surprising. We, like, we knew what this world was like and kind of where it was heading. Uh, so mm. there was nothing here that made me go, oh, those bastards. You know, we knew what they were. We knew what was going on. I disagree. Um, I feel that, yeah, we got the important stuff from 35, but there's much more. I mean, the, the, the very uh, yeah, transparent Brexit parallels about, um, yeah, about, about um, fear, about living in fear rather than not. That, that gets sculpted a little bit more. And the religiosity of it gets um, ramped up and defined much more. Um, I think... Finding out that there's a schism within the the Functionist Council is a little bit um, convenient, and it gives us sort of this refugee thing. But then that gives us an extra sort of layer to the story. The fact that like the, the image of a, a like a crumbled city with a you know sort of religious uh, a crumbling religious city packed to the gills with sort of the downtrodden and um, dispossessed ones to be marked for dead in other countries. That's a political. Uh, overtone that was that we only really got from the energy on Jetfire Astrobot guy uh, running through the airport and getting gunned down. Um, 
which um, I saw as seemed quite similar to that. Not, not with the gunning part, but um, in Australia once, an Aboriginal woman was chased uh, around by... I thought you were telling me a story about a film you'd seen, man. Is it? I saw this thing in a film, but no. Uh, Australia gone. starring Hugh Jackman and uh, um, Nicole Kidman. Uh, no, anyway, yeah. I feel that there's, there's elaboration on the themes. There's not anything as radical, of course, but I, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a bit more. There's nothing quite as clever as like the flat screens, or the flatheads, mm. or, or anything. I think the choice of making like doing sort of the 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 life of Brian kind of people's Judean people's front kind of thing with the with the resistance maybe wasn't the best move. I don't think you need like a comedy beat there. I think Clicker I was designed to look funny and silly, but um, I, I, I don't think that was a, a good move. I think that dilutes things a little bit. Um, and I have to say, oh, I hated that design. I know it's supposed to look stupid, isn't it? But it, yeah, it it, it it does interfere. Mm. Like, oh, is this this is funny now? Okay, these guys are funny. No, yeah, wait, you, this is all. You have that really odd cliffhanger as well, where it's going. We're going to Cybertopia. Yeah, that didn't work. Which is a place over there. It's not actually Cybertopia. That was a bit of a odd force. Yeah. Dramatic. Yeah. I was really excited by that because like that's a really cool idea. Oh, this place you're looking for, we found it in this nightmare world and uh and you know, it's not what you expect. But, I think, mm, but it was uh, it was constructed as like you said an artificial cliffhanger at that point where you're like, What? This is actually gonna be interesting. This story is gonna mm. be more interesting than I thought it was. Oh no, it's it's yeah. not. It's not, it's just <laughs> fooled <the> you. <laughs> And that would have been absolutely hilarious if they had found Cybertopia in the Functionist universe. You often have people saying, oh, would it be funny if Getaway had already found the Knights of Cybertron like 10 minutes after the mutiny? <laughs> it would have been something like that. <laughs> yeah, here's Cybertopia. We're great in fascist universes for finding places. It's over there. Yeah. Well, uh, so if maybe the, the you know, because we hadn't, because uh, we only seen little glimpses of the Functionist Council before, you know, maybe they are related to the night. I'm sure that will probably be the case. Uh, the cog people and mm. the fact that the I mean there was so much that we didn't learn about like we didn't find out more about the functionists we found out that they're combiners okay that they turn into the kid of Vector Sigma okay what does it what what does that What's mean that? where do they come <laughs> from it turns what? out to be irrelevant because they don't actually need the key yeah, so, and it's so we're going to introduce this gimmick for them and then that's... yeah it did I didn't feel like I learned anything that was like important I say this now and then we will probably turn back you know in 12 issues and it'll all be very relevant but it just didn't feel like it it was mm, all yeah, just it's... like bits of information that I didn't feel linked to to anything I cared about somehow. It, it did feel like that key to Vector Sigma combiner thing was only there because James had been thinking, well, why haven't they already done this, Fan, I need some sort of excuse. Um, okay, here's the excuse. And then here's the excuse for why they're doing it now. And hopefully that'll fudge it rather than it be for any especially interesting reasons. Hmm... The, I mean, for me, the interest in the story lies in Megatron. and uh, But you don't get there till issue six and then look back and go, uh-huh. But I think, like, the more I've been thinking about that, that re- resolution, it's not really a resolution, but that ending and what it means to him and for him 
uh, the more I've thought, okay, James really thought this through. Because it also felt like, it was. It, we kind of predicted it as well. We thought, oh, Megatron's going to stay there, isn't he? We didn't know exactly how or why. Uh, but again, in itself, it wasn't surprising. But the way it happened and what that actually means in the world that he's in and so on, I think has many layers to it, which are very interesting to look at. Um, we found him ending up in underneath Nova Point, which is where he started off. We found him um, being manipulated by somebody else to be something that he didn't choose to be. We find him uh, pretty much living out um, Starscream's monologue from his trial, where Megatron thinks he's this grand architect, but actually all he is is being swept up in events. There are so many layers there that are tragic uh, because Megatron has ended up at the place where he would have never chosen to be had he had all the facts, but he doesn't have the facts. And he thinks he's made the choice, or rather he thinks he's been given an opportunity and he's made the choice to go with it, but actually he's been manipulated into that place by somebody else. That's a really good take. I agree. Nothing to add to that. That's very good. I do think if we're talking about being a good first arc, but that's probably one of the main areas where it's not a good first arc, because the opening of this new comic book is writing out the lead character of a previous comic book. So if you're like new to Lost Lights, all the stuff on Megatron here isn't really going to be relevant going forward. It's almost like this should have been the climax of all the BTI, and then Lost Lights launches with the new Megatron list direction for the series. In the same way, the season two launch with Megatron coming aboard as a clean new starting point it's almost as if that's how it should have ended with that sort of full circle thing. This is like the Morgan BTI season 2.1 before Lost Light starts properly, presumably, with issue 7. Mm. Um, it was all yeah. very good stuff for Megatron stuff. I, I absolutely was well behind that. I think I was only at the peak of the opening storyline. Yeah, you kind of do feel like it was all building to that, um, whether organically or, or opportunistically. Yeah, it, it 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 all it all folds together very nicely. I'd never picked up the the parallels to the Starscream speech, Marion. That's a um, that's a really good spot. How about Rodimus then? Uh, rather, Captain. I thought Rodimus <laughs> was very strange in this arc. Uh, he, because... he never he never progresses, does he? He just regresses. That's all he ever does. At the beginning of each new season, he's back exactly where he was at the beginning of the previous season. And so this is not the same afternoon that Dying in the Light happens. And that's all he mostly happens after the mutiny. Mm-hmm. And he's been betrayed. And you don't really get any sense of him becoming a completely obsessed, myopic dick in that storyline. He's prepared to try and rescue those, what they think are organics, uh, in that story, uh, with a bit of persuasion at the end, but, you know, he, he does go with it. Compare that to this guy who's, uh, in the same week, is incredibly angry to a point he reacts to the use of words <laughs> reminding him of things. I didn't even get that when I read it. I was Did like, you just say, get away? I, I didn't even go there. I, I had to, uh, you explained it to me afterwards. I was like, what, what, what? Well, apparently a lot of people didn't get it and get 
that. Oh. <laughs> but uh, it's it's very odd. It's like he he's happier about getting back to the universe so he can go and twat get away. It's like I'm going to leave all these people to die here. I don't give a toss. I'm going back. Uh, it's like that doesn't feel like Rodimus. It certainly doesn't feel like Rodimus from earlier in the same afternoon in the previous storyline. It, it feels like it's been a bit a force character development. Maybe get, Drift was using lead paint or something that it's gone to his brain, but it, it felt a bit awkward, Rodimus, uh, here for me. He was, Rod- he was being Rodimus, but he was being very inconsistent Rodimus. Like, nothing, as you say, has even happened between the end of Dying of the Light and now. We're exactly where we were. Well, Drift's come back. Maybe that's what's at fault. Uh, similar in sexual tension with ratchets getting to him. <laughs> uh... um, yeah, I I agree. It does seem weird, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't feel out of character to mm. me. Uh, it feels like Rodimus is like a character that moves the plot along mm. because he is like this and like that. So um, yeah, he's fulfilling his function and he's acting true to form. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That didn't really bother me so much. Well, no, I disagree, actually. I'd say he's not furthering the plot here because he's really just dragging it out to the six issues because by refusing to join in until the end. Yeah, so, oh, I'm going to have a fight with Rung because I don't want to take part in this plot. Uh, that will fill up a few pages. So that might, how are you at the end of issue six yet? Oh, but and also, talking about artificial cliffhangers, that was another one. Big cliffhanger, they they, they get into this huge fight and then next issue he punches him and then goes, oh, what am I doing? And then they move on. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, it's... it's... That that feels 2000 AD. That's the kind of like, when you've got five pages, or just when you're running out of time and ideas, that's sort of what you do. That's the... It's a classic Doctor Who ending, Tom Baker, isn't it? With the things around his neck. We're like, what are we going to do? We don't have a cliffhanger. We'll just throw these things around his neck and then he'll take them off at the first minute of the next episode and then we'll just move on. I love Genesis of the Daleks. That's my favourite... Amazingly, it's one of the most memorable bits of Doctor Who from my childhood. But, you know, (laughs) when looking back at it now, you're like, what a load of... what? What was that all about? Yeah, it's right up there with uh, Cyclonus going down in a hail of gunfire. Uh, oh, he's fine. I believe they ad-libbed that Doctor Who cliffhanger on the set as well because something fell through with the last second of a Gadalic was supposed to turn up or something. They were like, uh, Thomas, do what you like for a good of a pub in a minute. But uh, maybe that's what happened here. I don't know. Jack, just throw anything on off to the Guernsey <laughs> bar to have a drink. Uh, I think this... That cliffhanger was a place where VR fell down for me as well. And alternate run generally, because from the script, when you read his dialogue, I think alternate run is supposed to be completely psychotic. He's been driven mad by his torture. He's a bed gum. He's, uh, he's not supposed to be just regular run who's a bit sweating. But that's, that's how Lawrence draws it. I wouldn't call him psychotic. He's, he's he's very with it. He makes some very good decisions. He knows exactly what he's doing. And given everything, you know, that's that's pretty good going. I mean, he, he delays their escape at one point so he can lay a bird on the council by going, ah, yeah, you're really useless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, come on. That was a good put down. 
but uh, I, I think he's supposed to be a bit more dangerous than, than he is in the art. Uh, that's what hurts about Cliffhanger. Which not, if it was like a really demented uh, rug ready to pounce on one of us, it might feel like there's a bit of danger there. But it's just like... Maybe that was the point. Maybe because we, you know, we're thinking of this rug as a completely different thing. He's been master's place. You know, he's like worshipped by millions. He's, you know, all of that. And you're thinking, oh, is he going to take Rodimus on in a fight? No, no, it's still wrong. No, he's knocked him out in one punch. It's still wrong. <laughs> but then he does take on a moon. He does, he does take on a moon, which... Badly. Oh, the art there let me down the most. Any, any scene with the moon in it, was just like, I, I don't think the scale of this is right. I don't know how you can get a moon scale right in a comic book, but it was just, I had to make a lot, like there was a lot of suspension of disbelief getting through those pages, put it that way. Mm. Yeah, you kind of need, you need, you need like Jeff Darrow to do this. Um, on that sort of action scene where like lots of lots is going on. And even Jeff Darrow would use like a double page spread and would, have um you have vanishing points and things which sort of match up here you've got like a shot of of like lots of holes shooting lots of lines it's all very blue and then you kind of cut to some explosions happening behind the characters mm. yeah you um, never attempt to show the whole moon in the panel that's this big yeah because uh, you can't you can't do that and you can't do have like six five panels on a page and have a giant moon that's convincingly bearing down upon you. Uh, that's uh, a scripting issue. That's not. That's not Lawrence. I, mean, I only properly worked out what was going on with Rogue on rereading it again because uh, in the gap between issues, I forgot a lot about exposition about the mass displacement. So that originally quite quite confused me. I was like, "What's going on here?" But uh, well, read it all in one go. I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, that's that's what happened." I just forgotten that bit. So I, I'm just trying to piece together what exactly happens with Rung. They have him in. They have him captured. They sweep finds out what he's for. They then haul him up. They, they, they then alter him secretly to be a big drill. Mm-hmm. Um, they then haul him up to, in front of everybody. Say that they know what he's for. He is going to allow them to get access to Vector Sigma again. Well, first of all, they discover how to force him to make crystals. Yes. Okay, so they're using but the public doesn't know that. No, right? okay, yeah. Okay. Okay, so now they've got a load of crystals and they're gonna use it to go Nova Prime everything. Mm-hmm. They're gonna become the Decepticons and mm-hmm. sweep across the universe. Um they then so that, yeah, they then put him on they then uh out him as a giant drill tank. Oh, okay, because they want to use they because they've told everyone that Vector Sigma is the only way you can make sparks and now they're making sparks some other way, mm-hmm. and they 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 oh they found all of Nova Prime sparks or something, all the yeah. sparks that Megatron would have used to make the Decepticons. <sighs> okay, and then they Megatron would have used is this how we're going? Oh, across? didn't they, um, you know? There's there's lots of references of times where the Decepticons have found a load of sparks and used it to make a load of new Decepticons. Oh, okay, and the, Autobot, and the Autobots too. They've got to do something with all that melted down bodies they got a grind core I suppose yeah I remember it more as an Autobot thing that's why but no you're right it, it was both of them because of getaway story of how they were creating new soldiers and dropping them into battle yeah but yeah it was, yeah, it was okay. both yeah yeah okay um, 
so but they, so they found all those and they're now using rung to 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 make a load of new crystals mm. but they for propaganda reasons they want it to look as if they've actually been using vector sigma so they never actually use vector sigma they drilled through the anuntrium ball through means that we don't yet know mm -hmm. they didn't use dr rung they had some more anuntrium okay and they so they could have done that at any time yeah. the whole thing was just a show to cover up the hypocrisy yeah okay that's it right yeah and, and then that, that, that happened, they don't need Rung anymore anyway. Yeah. Uh, but they don't want him to run off. And, uh, well, they need him for the crystals, actually. I suppose so. He, so I guess the, the implication is that they've already stockpiled. Stockpiled, right? yeah. But, um, yeah, that's the only reason why they would keep him and also because they don't want anyone else finding out what he does. The, ironically, um, we end up in a situation where, again, Cybertronians are a threat to the universe, which is exactly what Rewind was trying to avoid when he shot Megatron in the first place. Hmm. How do you feel about that? Um, the inevitability of fate. <laughs> um, I think... Uh, it's interesting in a way because the Functionist Universe was the ultimate Brexit in a way. Uh, it was this isolated planet that didn't want to have anything to do with anybody else, where internally it was um, making up whatever stories it wanted uh, to keep people in line without any access to the outside world, um, giving people whatever they needed to leave them alone. Um, and after a while, they hit the point where... They, they couldn't do anything else internally anymore. It was almost like inevitable that they would turn on the world because there's only so much you can do to your own citizens before you start getting bored, I guess. Mm. But the motivations were very different. And I guess that's where the inevitability of turning outwards is interesting because, yeah, they went full Nova Prime. They were, those were his motives. Uh, although he didn't believe in Primus, if I recall. Uh, it was very much about what he wanted, uh, not about any kind of divine sanction. But um, it was exactly the same. The Cybertronian race is above all else, and we need to make sure that everybody is aware of that by dying. Um, whilst Megatron's uh, rationale for turning outwards was that uh, it was self-defense. Mm. The rest of the world would inevitably uh, attack us. And therefore, we need to get them first. Yeah, I think it's like uh, all the actual damage that set up all the worst aspects of Cybertronian society was done before Megatron, during Nova Prime era, and uh, various other aspects of that, during all of Jaxis. Well, maybe not so much that, but so it, it, all the issues predate Megatron. It's, it's like if you went back in time and killed Hitler as a baby... Uh, you would have quite a hard time because if you were a baby, it'd be quite hard to kill him. But no, if you went back in time and killed Hitler, uh, it wouldn't prevent World War II because all of the stuff that made World War II happen was done at the end of the First World War with Treaty of Versailles. You know, it just depends whether it's who's leading Germany in that war or whether it's a war against Germany or a war against Russia, which is, of course, what everybody was preparing for in the aftermath of the First World War. It, it wouldn't... You'd still end up with millions upon millions of people dead and... Maybe even a worse situation if you got rid of Hitler. As foretold uh, in the events of Command and Conquer Red Alert. Yes, it, it, that, exactly. That is exactly uh, what I was referring to. It's, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's more complicated than just one person, I suppose, is it? 
I think it makes the functionist universe less clever. I think it's clever that in you know, Rewind's motivation for shooting Megatron, I think, was interesting. And the, the idea that so it, it, it kind of it diminishes Rewind's choice by making the functionist universe inevitably outward-facing and outwardly hostile. Um, and also, yeah, I think from a writing perspective, I think there's, there's, it's less interesting that deterministically Cybertron is always on a route that will make it a galactic menace. I think there may, I, I, I have a suspicion that what's going on with the fact they've found Cybertron's mold and the fact they've got these visions of the Cybertron moons and little Cybertrons all patrolling around being nasty. I think there's this, I think, I think there may be a point where there was once a vastly ancient, like a first billion years of the universe ancient um, Cybertronian cleansing, that, like, that Cybertron is a, clen- is a, is a life-destroying, like a Unicron uh, machine. And I don't know, that feels, I don't know, kind of, it, it feels, it, if that's, if, I've got a suspicion that's the way things are going, and that feels kind of counterintuitive to the strong themes of individuality and, and morality that have been set up. So, yeah, anyway, maybe none of that will transpire, but I, I, I think that, I think the idea, the inevitability of it is counter to the heart of this story. I have um, I've interpreted the necro world in two different ways. One as a mold that's made Cybertron as we know it, mm. or uh, as a mold that was made out of Cybertron to create other Cybertrons. If you see what I mean. Oh yes, good point. A mold can work that way, can't it? Ah, that's interesting. So maybe it isn't the case that uh, this has all happened before and will happen again. Hmm. I don't, it, it certainly doesn't deny free will either. I mean, if there is something orchestrating things from behind the scenes, I mean, with the, uh, the, the Battle Sarkos Marion just did at the end of that series, the big surprise to the people making everything happen again cyclically is that they do break away from the pattern and come up with uh, a new solution. To, to the ongoing repetitions of history that means the series ends with the next cycle starting and the, the people behind it going in turn. You know, what do you think is going to happen this time then? So it could, it could wind up going in uh, very... still being a celebration of free will, Tom, if, if you're, you're very worried about that, I can tell. We still don't know why uh, Luna 1 is uh, has got engines. Yeah. That, that is handy uh, now it's been teleported back to the regular universe from Necroworld because they've got some transport now. That was, was it Luna 2? I always get those two mixed up. Is it Luna 2 that's been transported from the Functionist universe? But Luna uh, 1 is the lost moon, right? Yeah, it's, it's the one that can fly about by itself anyway because obviously it's been about... Uh, well, they both can, but in the different universes. So Luna 2 from the Functionist universe cause seems to be able to fly around. But Luna 1 is the one that Tyrest was on in our universe. And that can fly about. Yes, yeah. That's, it's very confusing. They need proper names. <laughs> uh, but they've got a transportation now, and it's exactly the right sort of circular shape to paint it to a giant rod pod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the new rod pod. 
that's why we're still going to be spending another issue on Necroworld. It's like, yeah, we've got to finish painting this, so then we're going to go up to get away. This would be the ultimate attack weapon, right? Rodimus appears in, in your face as a giant Rodimus face. Uh, imagine how Getaway would react to that as well, considering how he reacted to Rod Pod originally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> His worst nightmare. So, what do we think uh, is going to happen next out of this particular plot line? Because I don't believe for a minute that this is the end of Megatron. Well, no, it's... And I don't mean in general in the IDW universe, because of course that's not the end of Megatron, but I just mean uh, very specific to Lost Light. It feels very obviously that the, the big climax to season three stroke season one. Uh, it, are they still calling them seasons, actually? I'm not sure. Well, the first thrust of Lost Light uh, will be they're going to be in some trouble. They're going to be surrounded by bad guys. And suddenly the issue will end with Megacron appearing in exactly the same way Drift and Ratchet did at the yeah. end of that issue with Wolverine's eye. That's, that's kind of how I imagine it as well. But will he still be a good guy or not? That once he's been under Terminus's influence for a while. Well, see, this is a bit disappointing to me because I would have quite liked to see more of that relationship, especially with um, Terminus being the dodgy character that he is. I would have liked to see Megatron start to catch up on that, you know? I, mean, I think mm-hmm. Terminus probably had the right idea when he's going, you know, this place is gone to hell. You could sort it out. And who cares what those guys over there think about you? <laughs> it's more important. He, does have, he has a viewpoint there in thinking that it's who cares about the night of Cybertron or this silly quest or this trial. You all seem as bad as each other, to be honest. <laughs> but Megatron cares, and Terminus doesn't respect that. Mm. Yeah, well, he, tr- he tricks him. Mm. What kind of respect are you showing someone that you trick into a, a place where... They've specifically told you they don't want to be. For whatever reason, like you're interpreting their wishes there. Uh, yeah. Especially somebody who has actually lived for a further four million years. That Since last time you saw them, it feels like last week to you. But this is somebody who's, who, you know, has four million years without you. You don't know them anymore. Yeah, he's treating him like a child. Mm. Well, I think David Turbis would really grasp the time difference as well. He's up there. He said, hey, remember that thing we were doing yesterday? No. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it would be interesting because we don't know enough about Terminus. We don't know what his motivations are. We don't know where he comes from. Don't know why he feels like because his world, his real world, um, kind of mission accomplished in a way. What he was trying to do with Megatron back there. So what? What's his motive? Why does he have this need to be this mentor figure to some kind of revolutionary? You know, it's just a very weird kind of fetish to have, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it feels like a kink, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're leading them. I do wonder how also um, Glitch slash Tarn is going to develop in this world. Is um, is his ending inevitable as well, and his development, or is he going to become a completely different person? I don't know. I would like that just to be at least reg. I think it would be dull to see like hero glitch. Um, you know, call himself Callus or something. Uh, you know, rising. Um, I might. I'd be quite happy not to see any Orion Pax as well. Mm. To be honest, um, it's cute as the last page or whatever. But um, 
I don't know. We, we, it's, it's easy to imagine an evil Optimus Prime because you've got a Megatron there, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's gratifying that it's the one thing that makes Megatron smile that he hears from him and he's got like a chance to redo his old stuff. But yeah, I don't know if that's a, that's a great story to see. Hmm. I, I was surprised how many people were confused by that ended because I, even with my memory problems across the storylines of the delays, I got that pretty much right off the bat. But it, it seemed like James had to go on Twitter and say, that was Ryan Pax. Yeah, no, it was a direct throw, throwback to the phone call they were having from um, Elegant Chaos as well, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah. No, I... Because that, that means Megatron also stole Roller's phone. He did. Which is terrible, but terrible of him. <laughs> I know. It's, it's once a genocidal warlord, always a genocidal warlord. <laughs> a phone stealer, same thing. <laughs> but it just goes to show how, however different the universe you're living in is, you still have the same phone number. Even after millions of years. Yeah, the personal frequency. I guess. Uh, yeah. I, I'd be impressed if our universe's Optimus Prime still had that same phone number after all that time. <laughs> well, Swerve thought that Blur would have the same phone number all those millions of years later, didn't he? Maybe it is a thing mm. that you just have. Link to your Spark signature. They don't seem to have phone companies, so... They've got, maybe Blur did really give him his phone number. It's like he just changed provider <laughs> into it. <laughs> Was there, yeah. was there anything else that stood out for you? Um, for me, there were a lot of little moments that were quite amusing, uh, where a good old James, uh, you know, never disappoints with that kind of thing. Uh, there were lots of uh, mini jokes that I think I've mentioned most of them now. Yeah, I, I really liked, uh, as I sort of touched on before, but, but apart from a nose, it wasn't the usual thing uh, where we do dark universe stories where hey here's everybody all our regular characters but evil and some of them have beards and some of them wear leather and some of them are lesbians because you can only do that in an evil universe you can't have oh, good regulars be gay hmm. sort of a, those last few deep space nine mirror universes episodes where it's just all about indulging the cast rather than doing anything interesting with the ideas like, oh, you're bored of playing regular Cisco okay you can punch people and have a lot of sex this week uh, that's my I like alternate universe stuff that's always my least favourite take on it uh, when it has nothing to say other than just indulging actors and this avoided that I was very uh, apart from that last page I don't know so I was, I was very happy with that it didn't go down the obvious uh, tropey route it's much more like uh, but even though they obviously do the evil doubles things in them. It's much more like the Buffy episode The Wish or the original Star Trek Mirror Mirror episode where it is saying something about the wider world or the characters. Uh, there's a, a point to it beyond, hey, what if Mr. Spock had a beard? Ooh, stuff. Which uh, gets old very quickly. Shattered glass. But, but ironically, Mirror Universe Spock was a good person. He has been badly mistreated by his beard becoming a symbol of alternate universe evil. But, uh, so I, I absolutely appreciated that. Uh, um, I thought that was one of the stronger things about the arc. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, I, on a, this was much better on a rereading 
because far more of it sort of fit together. I could see some of the the cleverness and the construction of it, which got kind of lost in the delays and the the angst about Milne and uh, and things. I yes, it's um. Uh, I, I don't think it was a good choice for a relaunch, but that doesn't really affect me. Um, I think it was as, as issue 58 uh, onwards of More Than Meets the Eye. I think it worked well on the whole. I have stopped referring to this as More Than Meets the Eye. I, uh, to me, this is now a different book. It's Lost Light, in fact. They should put that on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> they should renumber it. Um I'm very strong on the visual when I read it, but comic books for me are very much, um, I think, pretty much 80% visual, 20% story. I'll happily sit through a comic book where the story might be a bit daft if I really like the art. Mm. Um, And I would struggle seriously to read a comic book where the art just did not appeal to me. And, like, I haven't even read Heart of Darkness. Like, people talk about it. That's what it was called, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I haven't even because I looked at it and I was like, I can't read this. This is awful. Like it could have been written by James Roberts. I would not be reading it. I, I would struggle. Mm. And this has really affected me with this. And I also reread it, Tom, um, all in one go. And like I said at the beginning of the show, um, I because I was over my kind of shock of the change of art, I was able to get into it a little bit more. Uh, but it has had a big effect on me and how I'm interpreting the book and enjoying the book. And I'm... I'm uh, Jack Lawrence's art doesn't... I like... I don't object to it um, in the sense that I would put the book down. I'm reading it. It's fine. But more than it's the eyes, Alex Milne slash James Roberts. You can't just have one and not the other. Uh, they worked on this book together. They created this book together. The identity of the book is what they've given it together. You cannot take the artist out of the book and carry on calling it the same book, in my view. So I'm glad the name's changed at this point. Um, I hope Milne comes back. If he does, I, I would be very happy. I would be the happiest person in the world to see um, these characters drawn by Alex Milne again and written by James Roberts. But right now, this is a new book to me. I, I can't see uh, season three of More Than Meets the Eye here. This is season one of Lost Light. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think what IDW badly misunderstood here was how much this book... Well, yeah, comics generally, actually, are a team effort. It is a James and Alex book. It's not just a James book. And I'm not necessarily averse to a new artist coming along. So obviously, if I was going to completely block that out, I would not have accepted Alex when he came on after Nick Roach did issue one. But it had become very much the two of them. And I would guess the same applies as well to... Uh, John Barber and Griffith on uh, Robot in the Skies for the big fans of that, I suppose. But uh, yeah, this is very much a, a, a big, a joint effort. And I think IDW had perhaps got into the mentality of thinking it was a writer effort. And I agree that thinking of it as a, an entirely new thing is fairer on, on the creative team. And a lot of, uh, you know, hey, it's still more of a BTI and continuing the use of a hashtag and that is perhaps counterintuitive on that because it's making people think of it as still the, the Bill Roberts thing. Uh, so I, I think that uh, uh, was a mistake in how they've handled it. 
Uh, I'm certainly glad for Alex to come back. It's uh, If anybody listening hasn't heard the transmissions interview that they did with Alex Mill uh, a few, uh, couple of months ago, I think he was now, uh, he seems very happy off doing wrong, so good, good for him. And he's open to the idea of doing more in the future, but uh, he has no idea whether he will be drawing any lost light. Uh, I'd be quite happy to see him do some though, uh, if they can sort out their, their schedules still. Or maybe even some other artists as well. You know, some of the, if, if they ever need any fillings. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't hate the Jack Lawrence art. I think it's fine. Uh, Tom, Tom, your face. Uh, I, I must not be saying things that make any sense. But uh, I, I, I like. I think it's okay. I don't think it's as grandstanded as Mill. I don't think it's the right arc to launch a new artist on. Uh, but I'm sad a bit. I think issue seven, which seems a bit more of a focus on the new characters and a sad lonely thing might be in a better place to introduce a new artist and ease them in a little but the storyline itself I do think it's probably the weakest storyline we've had so far personally maybe the, the, the charisma bots was the weakest one actually but it might be a toss up between that but that was only two issues and this was six so obviously it's a bit more of a, a thing to get through uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here, but it suffers from the fact it's one four-part story and one two-part story that are meshed together and they don't mesh very well. And there's very awkward pacing throughout. Uh, and it works better when you read it in one go, but it's still a bit of a problem. Uh, hopefully, you know, now stumble over the relaunch we've got over, we'll be back on track for the next month and uh, we'll all be saying yay things again. As much as I liked a lot of this, I'd say it's only a, a qualified success overall and as a sort of a launching point. Yeah, not that great. No. Did any of that make any sense? <laughs> it, it did. No, it you just made some beautiful faces, so. Yeah, it was a diminishing praise of Jack Lawrence. It was just... yeah, I have been consistent in my attitude. <laughs> Uh, I think there's a link to a Penny Arcade comic where they they um they kind of you're doing. He was a great artist. Well, you know he was fine. Well, you know he had his thing, and and that's fine, I guess. <laughs> I actually <laughs> seen it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 there's lots of missteps in this arc. I think the arc was too long. I think it, 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 there was uh, the concessions to the new new title were, were were a bit begrudging and a bit mixed in and yeah he, I, Milne is, is uh, more than missed um, I agree with you Marion from a story perspective I think yeah it, it, it works as a continuation but yeah the identity of the book has changed um, I definitely agree that's nice and cheerful but having um, spoken about the the writing and the art I just want to say John Lafuente is back, of course, uh, who contributes a great deal to the art. And uh, there are times in the books where, in the these issues, where I felt like she was uh, very much following on from what she'd done in More Than Meets the Eye. But for the majority, she has toned down quite a lot of her colouring, I think, but presumably just to match the lines, uh, which does feel uh, very flat at times. I think she's probably made good choices in what she's done. But it does give it a, an overall different look. I, I think Joanna has a lot of different... St- she's very adaptable. She um, she matches the colours very well to the lines in all the different books that she's doing. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure this is a conscious choice. But 
uh, just another thing that contributed to it feeling a bit more alien. Um, and you mentioned um, tr the uh, Alex Mung Transmissions interview, Stuart. They also did an interview with Tom Belong, who is the Modern CIA oh. and Lost Light and all the IDW books uh, letterer. Of course, what we never talk about. Uh, I think part of the reason we never talk about him is because the letters are always so good. There's nothing to say about them because they never get in the way or distract in any way. Or, you know, there's nothing bad to say. Hence, we don't say anything, uh, which is mm. praise, I'm sure. Um, but anyway, it was a really good interview and I highly recommend it. I, I have, you know, not often uh, heard Letter is getting interviewed and he talks a lot about the design process and how that works because he does more than just the lettering. He actually does everything. He puts the covers together. He does the previously pages. He does, you know, he's the final step in uh, putting the book together, um, which has been consistently good. From the beginning, I think we've had very few previously pages of things like that that have kind of like not worked for me. We've had some very good ones. Uh, and I think um, it's an interesting interview to listen to anyway. I found it quite fascinating. But, but presumably that means he's responsible for the recap at the end of issue one, but Tom didn't like. It's the one that he didn't like, yeah, this is true. Yeah, who's to blame? Or maybe that's the one page he didn't do, and that's why we mention it. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, paging through issue six right now, and uh, yeah, lovely sound effect work. Um, stuff which is kind of big and bold, but also somehow unobtrusive, which is hard to do. I'm guessing he's doing a lot of these star fields and things as well. Um, then if he's doing design work, I guess he also did the, the special snowflake. That looks like it's been, looks like an element that's been dropped in. All right. Um, I'm looking at uh, issue six page. Uh, is this issue six? Yeah. Page one, two, three. Lots of sound effects there. But yeah, as you say, um, sort of see-through letters and very unobtrusive, but really adding to the action and all that's going on. As you're looking at issue six page, do we think Terminus shot them down on purpose? To oh. sacrificing himself. <laughs> I don't know, because I'm not sure he would have known what was going on there exactly, like why they were heading for the moon at that point. Did he? Uh, he seems pretty quick on his feet, old Terminus. He can make a bam very quickly to do something sneaky. He seems, yeah, I mean, obviously we're supposed to look back at this and now with new, with fresh eyes, look at Terminus's role and everything. Mm. I, 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 think, I think this is more... I mean, I don't think we're going to find out either way. But yeah, I think we're supposed to be having this conversation. Because okay. how... Okay, he's lied to Megatron, but maybe that's for his his his, uh, his own good. Maybe it, it's like a misguided mentoring thing. But then shooting someone down, that's, you know, how... We, I think we're supposed to question where his line is. Yeah. I'd agree about the colouring as well. I'm not sure it works as well as it did with Alex's art, at least initially, but it's, uh, once it settles down... Uh... It is pretty lively. It's very more than type colours uh, in most of the pages, but in some of the previous issues, it's definitely much blander, much more toned down. Actually, a lot of it, do you know what it reminded me of? And uh, Jack Lawrence's art in general reminds me of Corinne Howell's art. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, it has that kind of like small figure, kind of sometimes not quite well proportioned type of but pretty simple backgrounds kind of look to it. And I think um, the Wimblade issues that I remember her working on had a very similar kind of toned down colouring too. 
Hmm, this is, uh, the coloring pulls, it, it's, um, it supports the weight of a big plot point, doesn't it? Where you got the, the blues of the, um, the blues and purples yeah. of, of the teleport room that Rodimus and friends are in and the greens. Of the... And the other one. Oh, yes, yeah. Good, yeah. Good yeah, and that works as like a, as a top third of the, of the page that, that is picked up immediately. Yeah. Yeah, she's very good. Jana uh, Lafuente is uh, exceptional. I think. So, uh, any final thoughts on this story arc then? And uh, will we all be back next month? Uh, definitely. But I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I'm just trying to kind of maybe not get overly excited about what's coming next. Partly, I must admit, because I don't really trust IDW right now with this book anymore. Uh, I don't know how long we're going to have this and I don't want to get overexcited about something that could cross over in six months' time into something completely different and, you know. Um, but as long as James Roberts keeps writing and then I'll keep reading it, I think that's... Uh, I, I, uh, I can commit to this. Uh, yeah, I share your concerns there. As much as I kind of, despite... <laughs> So almost spitefully uh, enjoy um, revolution and revolutionaries, and uh, and I'm even not too fussed about first strike, even though it doesn't. Uh, I'm uh, I'm sad that um, Talula One has been dropped. I don't mm. think that's a good idea. Yeah. And yeah, there is a sort of a mounting sense of doom about the franchise. Uh, I don't know how. Yeah, I mean. Uh, what's worrying is that sort of sales figures have dropped, uh, well, the physical sales figures have dropped off quite a bit for all the books. I think it's fair to say the big relaunch has not been that successful if the intent was to get new readers in. Uh, and indeed, Lost Light is sort of only hovering slightly above what Till All the Mob was at, or is at. So uh, whether that means sort of big rejig is going to be coming pretty quickly after first strike, or plans are going to get thrown out the window. Uh, I, I, as a long time, I'm not uh, uh, Marion. I'm really not that trusted IDW to make the right decisions because <laughs> I've. I think there's a lot of discussion about why sales figures have fallen across various forums, and I think sort of a, the simplest explanation for why sales have fallen after big relaunches, but it wasn't a very well done big relaunch other than any of the content itself. And hopefully they'll learn from that and we'll try and build up some momentum again. Uh, I'm surprised it's taken so long until we see Getaway and the Lost Lights. Apparently that's not till issue 10. I think that might be a bit of a mistake pouring that out so long. But mm. uh, other than knowing it's a standalone issue, about believing Necroville, I've got no idea what's happening next week, though. So uh, I'm quite interested to see that. And hopefully that's, uh, as it seems to be a self-contained issue, we'll give it a chance to do something a bit punchier and uh, without the pacing issues that we've had the last few months as well. And it's coming out a month after the previous issue as well, <laughs> which, is, which is nice. It's always good when that happens. Yeah, but hopefully they'll give it a good chance to bed in. Because any long-winded fiction, it has its off days. Uh, it has bits that don't quite work every so often and it's just a shame that the point we get a lost light story that isn't quite part of the all cylinders it was such an important one but uh, hopefully it'll you know, be 
we'll all be more cheerful in the next episode and happy and singing the praises of everyone. We'll probably have had another election by the time. <laughs> <laughs> James is furiously rewriting issue seven now as so he can do his Corbyn jokes. <laughs> Uh, Every time there's a sort of a, a resolution or a, uh, an arc conclusion in this book, there's been a major election in the UK. <laughs> it's like those jokes. Uh, that joke was going on a, uh, a Twitter about how Billy Joel is constantly having to rewrite his new verse for We Did a Start the Fire. It's just a, James having to constantly. Oh, my references are out of date. <laughs> Do we think you've discussed this fully and properly? I think I yes. have said all I have to say. Well, in that case, if we were like Rung, I were to poo little magic glowing things of beauty. Tom, what is your glowing magic finger beauty you would like to recommend to people that sort of pops out your belly? <laughs> uh, despite, uh, aside from what already comes out of there, um, I think uh, a really surprising glowing crystalline object to come out my belly would be my own intestines. That's so what I just kind of pull them out. out just kind of, so. <laughs> oh, right. If you want to support was... Tom's intestines, you can buy some on eBay. And just... Oh, this is, this is where I pitch. Uh... Yes, it was a metaphor, Tom. It wasn't really literal. Oh, no. Well... I mean, that'd be cool, right? If I just pulled out crystalline guts and just kept piling them on the table and they just kept coming and then we can make a whole race out of them. <laughs> Fine, you can... No, you've had your chance. That was it. <laughs> Yourself. <laughs> yeah, do your plug, Tom. Right. Um, my audio drama, my other podcast, uh, The Saga of the European King, has just gone on to Stitcher and I am happy to announce that we're going to have a live show of it in Brighton in October. Um, I've gotten some funding in place, and now I'm planning all that from happening. Uh, there'll be more from me soon, but go check out The Saga of the European King. It's on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. You can find our page on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Tyrone McNally. And uh, you should listen. It's a lot of fun. It's, um, it's bonkers. And uh, uh, if you like hearing me talk, well, now you can hear me scream and shout and snort and stuff, which is good. I don't get to do that on this show. Not, no, not so much. We'll, we'll try next time to make you scream. <laughs> Marion, are you doing any live shows or gigs anytime soon? Or? Uh, not that I'm aware of, uh, but you can come uh, find me on Twitter, at Morsa, uh, also Tumblr, uh, also Society6 and Redbubble and all kinds of places. And Flickr. Flickr is where most of my photography lives, so if you like pictures, um, uh, some of which are of toys, uh, come find me there. Also, you can see me and Stuart and Tom at TF Nation this year. So if you'd like to come and say hi, all three of us will be there for the first time since two years ago, where we first met, in fact. Well, at least that's where I first met Tom. Um, the first time the three of us existed in the same room together, as far as we're aware. Um, oh. um, so, uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Are you guys looking forward to it? So, yes, uh, I'm very much looking forward to TF Nation. Uh, we should all be having a good time. Uh, I think about I'm going to be involved in some things I can't quite talk about yet, so to give people even more of a chance to hear me talk and sprout on. And I'm also involved in uh, both, or at least two other convention fanzines you'll be able to get, one of which is celebrating 15 years of Armada. We've all been waiting for that. 
Uh, and I will also hopefully have copies on me of Transformation Volume 2, which the mighty Andrew Turnbull is working on as we speak. I saw a rough copy, a copy of a cover uh, yesterday. Uh, two certain people get a thanks in acknowledgement. So if you, if you want to see the names thrown at Nally and Marin Hilditch in print, uh, you should uh, all buy copies. And uh, that will cover up to the start of the black and white era of a British comic. And on the website, uh, sold all that we believe, uh, Weebly, you could read this week about the third part of the legendary G.I. Joe crossover and Grimlock having an April Fool's prank played on him by the other Dinobots. It's hilarious. That's the plot of Salvation. That makes it a game. And uh, my Twitter is at Inflatable Dalek. And on that, <laughs> we're very well put together at the end there. Uh, it's time to say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> goodbye. Survive and prosper? Is it prosper? Uh, uh, live longer, prosper. Uh, survive, no, no. survive and thrive. Survive and thrive, but catch you. Well, you should all do that now. Yes. Uh, yes. You, you should also prepare and confront. I will do. I'm going to go prepare for last night before Tom can ruin any more of a plot for <laughs> So see you all next time, folks. Bye. Where are you recording, Tom? You look like you're in sort of a, a white void. Prison.